Welcome to Camera Ready and Able, the podcast that explores the intersection of media change and personal growth. I'm your host, Barbara Barna Abel, and my calling is to help you tap into your superpowers, clarify your message, and make an impact on the world. This episode is brought to you by the word mentor, which means a trusted, positive, guiding influence in another person's life. Fun fact, it first came to us by a Homer's classic, The Odyssey. My guest for this episode, Aliza Licht, is a mentor to many, both in real life as well as virtually via her podcast, her social platforms, and of course, in her essential book, Leave Your Mark. Aliza is one of the most generous people I know, as well as chic, loving, and brilliant. She is the founder and president of Leave Your Mark LLC, a multimedia brand focused on career development and personal branding, as well as being the head of social media and brand experiences at Warby Parker, which sounds like a ton of fun to me. So Aliza, welcome. I am really thrilled to have you here today. Barbara, first of all, I adore seeing you anytime we've got to spend time together. So thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure. Well, I'm excited. I just want to ask right off the bat, because you really are a real life and virtual mentor and have built a brand around this. So when did you know? When did you start to identify and say, I'm a mentor. Second grade. I started a homework club for my friends where I don't even know why I I, I said, I'm going to make some lessons and I want you to do this at home and submit it back in and I'm going to grade it and you're going to get stickers. And that was sort of my first teaching moment. I think there's many forms of this in my life. It's It's as simple and superficial as finding that perfect pair of jeans and wanting to tell your friend, that's a form of mentorship, right? You found something you love and you want to share it. And, you know, on the reverse side of of thinking about how you can pay forward and help people around you in your network, outside of your network to maybe not struggle as much as maybe you did previously and based on your learnings, be able to help them have an easier path. So it's just something I think that's very innate in me. So I have to take a moment to mention you had one of the greatest Twitter accounts of all time <laughs> early on when you launched, when you launched DKNY PR girl, which I loved and lived for. When did you figure out that was a mentoring platform? Such a great question, Barbara. So first of all, for everyone listening, my role, my day job was senior vice president of global communications at Donna Karen and DKNY, which I was there for 17 years. And in 2009, like Barbara said, I created a DKNY PR girl social media personality, which was anonymous based on Gossip Girl. And I was the voice behind it. And since it was anonymous, it gave me a lot of freedom to sort of test different things. And one of the things that I wanted to convey, again, just like innately, was my job as a publicist and what the behind the scenes inner workings meant. Uh, from celebrity fittings to fashion week, to award shows, to working with editors at Vogue, to taking people to lunch. I also wanted to convey sort of like the basics, like if you were an aspiring publicist, what does that mean? And I would use the hashtag PR 101. And inevitably, a lot of people would write back, tweet back and say, that's not just PR, that's life 101. So more and more and more, I realized I was dishing out a lot of career advice on Twitter. And people would DM and and start DMing me their professional problems or if they're looking for a job. And I I responded to everyone and I would give out advice um, until one day, you know, an editor from 
Grand Central reached out and said, we think there's a book in here somewhere. And that's how my book started. And now it's your business. And now it's a vocation. But I want to stop too and acknowledge you responded to everyone. I did. Yeah. I not mean, everyone not everyone responds to anyone. I have opinions about this, as I do about most things, but I actually think it's a hallmark of many people with sustainable brands. Interesting. I I just feel like what are you taking? Two, two to ten seconds out of your day to just have common courtesy to respond to someone and answer a question. Listen, Jenna Blackwell, who um, I still work with to this day, who's been at, with me at three different companies, she's someone I met on Twitter who reached out for career advice of wanting to work in fashion, but living in Texas, selling artificial turf. That's a real stretch. So when she DM me asking for career advice, I just wrote back, call myself because I couldn't even fathom how I was going to explain how to make that transition. Needless to say, I ended up hiring her as my assistant at Donna Kern. Okay. What did you see in Jenna? Um, I saw personality. You know, this was a social media assistant position. She was great on Twitter. She had a blog that caught my attention because she did Who Wore It Best, JLo or DKYPR Girl, when I had inadvertently dressed JLo in a dress for Letterman that was also the dress that my little illustration, my DKYPR Girl illustration was wearing. And it was the first time that someone had compared a celebrity to a fictional character. And that's how I viewed it. It was an illustration. And I thought it was pretty funny. And she was super sarcastic and quirky. And I was like, so we became friendly, like Twitter friendly. And then when she came to New York, we met IRL. And then eventually I ended up hiring her. Another thing I think most people wouldn't notice, especially when you think about being such a boss babe in the fashion business, is you have an incredible sense of humor. Oh, thanks. <laughs> With a hint of snark, by your own admission. Yes, definitely. Definitely. I, I definitely have had to watch that. Well, I think you're a New York girl through and through. Well, I actually created, when I was DKMPR girl, I created a sarcasm font so people would know. I mean, like actually the Wall Street Journal wrote, wrote an article about this, this, this font because it's, you can't read sarcasm online. You can get yourself in a lot of trouble because of it. What makes a good mentor? And same time, what makes for good mentee? So let's think of it in plural, right? I think one of the mistakes people make is thinking there's this magic person in the world that's going to solve all their problems and make them successful. And there's not a silver bullet like that. And you can have multiple mentors and you can have peer mentors and you can be a mentee and a mentor at the same time. First and foremost, not asking someone, can you be my mentor, right? Because anyone who is in the capacity to mentor is probably busy. So initially there's a red flag of like time suck, but what you can do is think of it as relationship building and coming back over and over again, not just with asks, but with gives right? What can you offer in exchange for their time? And also understanding that at the end of the day, you have to be really conscious of how much you're taking versus putting back into the world. So I'm a really big fan of keeping up with your network and emailing people and just saying, hey, you know, you popped into my mind. We haven't spoken in so long. 
here's what I'm up to. I'm trying to work on X, Y, and Z. Would you happen to know anyone who does this? Also, I'd love to hear where you're up to. How can I be helpful to you? What are you trying to you know, do at this moment? And make it a two-way street. And then all of a sudden, it's a mutually beneficial relationship instead of what I think is perceived as like, oh, someone's your mentor. So they're just giving you lots of stuff and you're just taking it. I think you also tapped into something so important there to point out is the specificity. And that's coming up in different episodes I've done prior with Access with Nora and then the transformation with Rob Shooter is about the showing up generously and being very specific in your ask because that's also about being sensitive to the time yes. of the person you're asking. Yes. Because I, I'm on the same side of that. I get emails all the time, especially with reels or just career advice for how to be in media. Do you have any advice for me? And almost always my answer is like, no, I, I have no idea what you should do. But if you ask me a very specific question, oh, I'd love to help you. And then sometimes having to go back and go, by the way, that long thing, that's what I do for a living. Right. So, right. so well, here's a nugget, but I don't know how deep I can go into that. But it is a really notion about being specific. But follow-up question to that for anyone listening too is when you're starting out or even just thinking about it in a power dynamic, sometimes you may not think you have anything to offer. You know, do you have an example of when you're just a young pipsqueak or you're just Jenna who's, who's reaching out, who may not think, I don't have anything. To, who, what could I possibly offer Elisa Lecht? But everyone has some sort of gift. And I'll give you a very explicit example. Uh, and this happened not that long ago. Someone DM me on Instagram. By the way, Instagram DM is a great way to connect with people, uh, much better than email in many cases, because email is where we all go to die. You know, that it's just, it's a very hard place to live on email. And she DM me and she said, hi, Lisa, I'm, I'm a huge fan of your podcast. I listen to every episode. I actually am thinking about doing a podcast myself. I don't know the first thing about it. And I was wondering if you would be willing to share some of your learnings with me. I am a freelance writer. And in exchange for that, I would be happy to write some of your show notes and your interview questions. And I was like, damn, yes, sign me up for this trade. I hate doing that research and I hate doing the prep, the show prep. So it turns out that her, her blog is all about royal fashion, royal happenings. And my guest that she was prepping for was Elizabeth Holmes, who wrote all about the royals in her new book. And it was the perfect match. And so we did a Zoom. I helped her with her podcast. She helped me with my show notes and it was perfect. And I've never met this person before. I don't know this person. This is a cold pitch. Oh, how much do I love that? And you answered my question, how does someone effectively approach a mentor? That's fantastic. You also answered, what does being a global mentor mean in 2021? I don't know if you need to be a global mentor, right? You can sort of, it'd be really nice if people had the mentality of like helping people in their own backyard, like helping your friends, helping your family, helping your peers, being a great colleague, like in your office, like being someone who's collaborative. I think it's about realizing that the more that you help other people, the more imp important it makes you, right? So a lot of times people feel like, oh, I'm not going to connect that person because I'm giving away that contact. It's like, no, actually you're showing how powerful you are by being able to get to that contact in the first place. Mm -hmm. The other thing too is really important that I think it's downplayed certainly in the entertainment space, but I think it anywhere is 
how being a good colleague is actually a tremendous attribute when you're trying to get hired for anything. 100%. Well, first of all, I mean, I, I believe the only way to get hired is to have someone walk that resume in to figure out who in your network you know, who knows someone who actually works there, who knows the hiring mm-hmm. manager. So your network is is gold. It's it's really your the most valuable thing other than your reputation, your network is the most important thing you own. Well, in media, you know, in, in the casting space, especially let's say in a travel show, but this can show up anywhere. I can tell you when we get down to the wire and let's say the top three to five candidates who are making it all the way to, you know, the EVP of programming for a sign off and any one of them can in theory do the job. I got to tell you, the showrunner and the producers are thinking, do I want to be a van with this person for 13 weeks on a rocky road somewhere in the middle of God knows where? Will this person lift a heavy bag if they have to? Is this person collegial? Will this person take a leadership role when, I don't know, we're on a 14-hour shoot and it's going to go into 18 hours and God knows what? That's what we're thinking about. And so I think about for any you know boss or leader, you're thinking, who, how is this person going to help the team? Yeah. And will you like working with them? People yes. hire people they like working with. Skill set even, right? You're going to go with the person you want to want to hang out with. So what are the things you look for? Who do you want to hang out with? I value out-of-the-box thinking. I value speed. I value positivity. I value people who are, instead of saying, oh, no, that can't happen, let me look into that and figure out how I can make it happen. Um, I think a lot of people like to shut down big ideas because they're scary and you have no idea how you can accomplish them. So open-mindedness and resourcefulness, and of course, you know, the usuals, attention to detail and, and just, you know, being a great communicator and being collaborative. I think, you know, if you have a bad seat on your team, it, it really does poison the water for everyone. So culture is really important. So you have a young daughter. I have a slightly older daughter just out of college. But what I was starting to think about is how the workspace has changed in many ways for the positive since we were first entering the workplace and bad bosses got away with being bad bosses. Um, But there's also balance between the, um, this is what works for me right now, (laughs) Elisa, which I see with younger people that I work with and mentor versus, um, no, the needs of the office and your boss and the company come first. And how do we balance and how coaching someone through healthy boundary setting versus we're not here to feel your bliss? It's a great question. I think it really depends on the role. You know, with seniority, you can create Uh, a lot more boundaries in your world. And I think what the pandemic, the positive of the pandemic is really exposing the fact that like breaking news, spoiler alert, we're parents and we have a whole life outside of the day job that's pretty demanding on a regular basis. So exposing that um, and not being ashamed of that, like you would never have your kid on Zoom or in the background of a meeting, but now it's like, okay, well, she's a mom, she's nursing, her kid's right there. You know, so I think that that's really important. And I, I know like, you know, we're going back into offices this fall in many capacities. And I just hope that we don't lose the humanity of what the pandemic taught us, because I think that 
the work, work, work till you die kind of thing is, is kind of over. Like mm -hmm. people want to have separation. And I think from a mental health perspective, you need to be able to like shut it off. And I think creating boundaries are really important. But then on the flip side, and I can argue with myself on this, the people who are the most accessible are the ones who are indispensable. And that's how I've always thought of my personal role at a company is like, I am available to do anything and everything. And I'm like your go-to person and it's served me well, but it's, it's a mentality. It's a certain type. Like some people don't, you know, if you're not like super high achieving person, not everyone desires to be, that's cool. You can clock out at five and you can start up again at nine tomorrow, but you're probably not going to be CEO. There are not a lot of the industries you and I have worked in that are clock out at five. No. And also if you work like what you work with LA all the time. So they're three hours behind you. You're going to be like, okay, it's six o'clock. I'm done here. No, it's like, no, it's nine o'clock. And you're still talking to people because that's your job. And I think understanding a role before you take it and what that role requires is really important to uncover before you accept a job. Oh, another skill set research. Yeah. Research. Find Just out what it's up. like to work there. Do you have any mistakes? Like there are any career do-overs you wish you could oh have? Oh my God, like a hundred million. They, they've, they've kind of come as an ebb and flow. Like I started on the magazine side of the business in the late nineties, which was like the heyday of magazines in my opinion. And I mean, you wouldn't miss an issue, right? You just wouldn't miss an issue for your favorite magazine. So when I jumped to corporate communications two years in, there were many times where I had the oh my God, I think I really messed this up. I think I should have stayed. I, I had total FOMO of just like living an editor life and, and being a part of that world. So there were many times that I felt like I messed up, but it was almost at the point where you just had to go with it, right? And I kept on building my career in corporate communications. And then I left Donna Karen in 2015 and I said, I'm going to start a consulting business. And to be clear, my version of starting a consulting business is very naively, like, I'm going to make a logo and I'm going to post it. I'm going to be in business. And that's like literally what I did. And then part of it was like a little surprise when I was like, wait, no one's calling me to like hire me. Like what I'm consulting, like, where are the clients? So I think I went at it in a really, really wrong way. And ultimately after 10 months, I decided I suck at this. Like I'm going to get an actual job again. And I went back in house for like a real corporate role. And then after I was in that role for two and a half years, I was feeling itchy and I said, I need to be on my own again. So the second time I did a deep dive and I'm like, okay, what did I do well before? What did I really mess up? What are the learnings and how can I structure this in a way that can be positive? And I was actually able to reframe my own mindset as to how I work with clients and it worked out really well. So I think it's about giving yourself permission to fail. And I was really public about it. Like I wrote an article about this in Forbes. Like it was like a very public fail because I felt compelled to let people know, like I get that being an entrepreneur is like, it's trendy. It's, you know, it's tied to female empowerment. You know, people think like, oh my God, you don't, you know, coming out of school now, it's like, you're starting your own company, right? You're not going to like work for someone. 
there is, there is a stigma to it. And I, I think that it depends on you, you know, it depends on if you want to be a founder or you want to work for somebody that's, it's totally fine. And now I'm back in a corporate role. To be clear, what did you feel that you did really well? And what were the aspects of running your own business that did not play to your strengths? Great question. Narrowing my scope. So what I did the second time around was write down on paper every single thing I know how to do, which was a lot after, you know, 20 years of doing stuff and then crossing out everything I didn't want to do. And what was left on paper was really the social media content strategy, brand storytelling aspect. And what was crossed off was PR, which is what I spent my entire career doing. So that was like an aha moment of like, oh, right. I don't want to be a publicist anymore. That's good to know. And so that was like a great exercise. And the other thing I realized was I'm really much better working with a team. I'm much happier working with a team. But is there a scenario in consulting where you can still work with a team? So what I decided to do this round was position myself as like a rent a CMO. So I would embed into existing teams for six months, for eight months. So I would have multiples of those, small brands, bigger brands. And this way, I, as a one woman show, I had a team to work with that I could sort of like be that senior layer and, and strategize things with them and then have them go off and execute. But I felt part of something, which was something that I personally needed to feel part of something versus like you're on your own, you're consulting, you're, you're writing strategies and then you hand them off. That's not a format that works for me. Can we just take a moment to sit with one of the greatest three word stories I've ever heard? Rent a CMO. What a fabulous, focused, specific brand story that I get. Yeah. Identified a problem and you're offering a solution in three words. Yes. And you love it and you're freaking amazing at it. But I'm not doing it anymore, right? So I, I then, I think there's pros and cons, right? You have to be someone who can have a lot of balls in the air at one time. And the downside of the structure, which I know it's very catchy, rent a CMO, the downside of the structure is, as opposed to running your own little agency, everyone wants and needs you. It's your time. There's not somebody else who can fill in for you. So it requires you physically, mentally to be present at every single meeting, at every single discussion. So it can, it can get a little chaotic too, because your brain is like, I mean, I would have five Slack channels from like five different companies at the same time, five different email inboxes. All I mean, my eyes are crossing just hearing meetings you throughout that. the day from all different companies, like fluid throughout the week. And then I had my leave your mark stuff, my podcast, right. And my community and the mentorship events. So actually focusing on one thing right now is kind of luxurious. That's fantastic. Listeners, something you just addressed in a way that I was taught by a business coach a while ago was understanding having a capacity calendar and actually filling in and understanding what's my capacity. That's and that's brilliant. not just about hours. That's, that's, you know, my mental bandwidth and what, how much time do I need to allot in my day to maintain my wellness and my stamina so I can continue to deliver at my maximum quality. And that was game changing for me because then it allowed to focus on, you know, 
things I love doing, but also generating income um, without, you know, losing my mind and my health. That's brilliant. And I know two people off the top of my head who will only schedule phone calls on Tuesdays and Thursdays. They'll only take meetings Tuesdays and Thursdays. Everything else is their, their time to really sit with strategy and really dig into the work. So there's something to be said for really segmenting your day. I mean, I put throughout my day, like Elisa busy on my calendar and yeah, sometimes it gets, you know, overrided, but I try to block those times because, you know, you can be in meetings all day and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, right. So it's seven o'clock now and I haven't done one email check yet. Yeah. That's the, when do I do my work? I do, I just, mine says BBA time on my calendar, but that I learned that a long time ago, God, probably in the nineties at MTV networks, when they invested so much in our training and development, it was just when they had Franklin planners way back yes, in the day. I remember Franklin planners. Yes. I was upset, but now, so I transitioned that and it's something Marie Forleo says all the time, which is if it's not scheduled, it's not real. So do you have any do-overs or no, you're marching ahead? Just learnings, right? I think you just, I, I'm a big tester. I like to test things. And I don't, what are you testing right now? What are you, what are you I'm testing this college community. I started leaveyourmarkcommunity.com. It's for college students and recent graduates from 2019 and 2020. That was the first cohort. I launched it in April. It was a two month program. Uh, I built it on Mighty Network. So it's like a totally like there's like infrastructure there. And it was really a very heavy lift. And now I'm trying to figure out the monetization of the next one or what the format is or how it lives in the future and just testing different, different ways to do it, different tiers, different types of membership, and just kind of like seeing what works. And, you know, obviously having had done this two month cohort, you know, doing, you know, like the marketer in me, you know, ending with the survey and, and understanding, you know, how people experienced it and what they would change and what they would keep and then taking those learnings and applying them for the future. This leads me to want to ask, what are Aliza's top tips to go from idea to execution? Because you are someone who ideates and executes remarkably. Thank you. Well, I think that there are some people who will take months planning, strategizing, research. I thought about it on a Thursday. I launched it on a Friday. I, like, I am not that girl. Like I am, I literally came home one night and Googled how to do a podcast. And my podcast was like a thing, like a month later. Like I, I am very, very fast and I don't, I am not scared to just start. So one of, one of the ways even my website started was I put, I wrote something for people and I realized that the magazine people saw watch and the magazine had closed before it was ever published. And I was like, damn, that was a really good piece. And like, no one ever saw it. So I was like, I want to share it on Twitter. And I was like, oh, but like, where am I going to put it? So I quickly, like in real time, made a website and tweeted it. And then someone was like, how do I sign up? And I'm like, I don't know. Like what? Sign up for what? More writing? And then I quickly made a sign up sheet. Like, and I, and I tweeted back out. I'm like right here, but it's like on the fly thinking there's zero prep. I literally do no prep. I'm just like going with the, I, I just intuitively know that like, 
I live my life with like, what's the worst thing that can happen? No one signs up. Okay. I signed up. I just want everyone to know. So I want to encourage everyone to sign up. I think I saw one of those tweets because I've been on that mailing list forever and I get so excited every time it shows up in my inbox. Two, I think innately you also do some important things before you hit send, like double check your spelling. Well, of <laughs> course. I mean, I'm brand obsessed, of course. That's my job. So yes, being thoughtful about execution and how you're presenting is essential. But I guess my whole thing is like, while people are like ideating and massaging big ideas, you can run with it because the, because the reverse is really sad. It's like you spend all this time perfecting an idea and then someone faster just does it. And then you're like, then, and that happens with startups all the time. It's like, that's why startups should just start up because it's like the faster you come to market, the more chance you have to succeed. So what are your essential go-to resources? Because for me, I'm not kidding. I'm sitting here at my desk in my office in Brooklyn with my beautiful signed copy of Leave Your Mark, Aww. which is never far from my hands. So that is an essential resource, as is your website and your podcast. But where do you go? Where do you go for inspiration? So funny. I think I get a lot of my ideas from being really immersed on Twitter. I really like to surround myself with a ton of people outside of my industry and really just watching conversations, watching what, how people react to things, you know, whether it's from like a pop culture perspective or whatever it is. I mean, I think, you know, there's just so many thought leaders and yes, is it toxic? Of course it's toxic, but if you are really strategic about who you follow on any channel, you can really sort of curate your inspiration around you just by scrolling through your feed. So I think it's really important to think about like, you know, if you were launching a business, like follow like competitors, follow people who are experts in that, in that business, in that industry, and like immerse yourself in that knowledge. I don't really follow like other brands per se, um, but I, I'm like a big go with my gut kind of person. Like if I feel like it's relevant or I feel like there's a space that I'm trying to fill, I'll just go for it. And I think mentorship has been hugely important, especially this year with so many people out of work, so many people needing to find totally new careers. And it's something that, you know, in the middle of the pandemic, I lost all my clients. Of course, in March, March, April, they were gone. And I was like, okay, so like, what am I going to do with my time? Like, I didn't have anything to do. So I'm like, I'm going to double down on content. I'm going to double down on my podcast and I'm going to create these mentoring events. I'm hosting one on July 7th, which is about building your personal brand. Like put, you know, getting people together for community. And, and the theme of it is like, come with your issue, lead with your solution. Because I think one of the things, you know, going back to being a mentor one of the most important things that we can all do for each other is be really transparent about what it takes or how you messed up or how you fixed it. Because putting on this sort of guise of perfection that everything is just like easy is a disservice to everyone. Amen to that. Oh, wow. Okay. Thank you so much, Aliza. Is there anything I didn't touch on that you want to throw in there? Hopefully people who are listening to this 
I think if I have one ask, it's reach out to someone, connect with them, see what they're up to, see how you can be helpful. My friend, Susan McPherson, who just wrote a book called The Lost Art of Connecting and the importance of not networking, but really building authentic relationships. Her first question when I met her and it stayed with me, literally, hi, nice to meet you. I'm Lisa. Hi, I'm Susan. You know, what do you do? How can I help you? And I, and I do see the most successful people that I know, that is really one of the first questions they ask. I love that. Lisa, thank you so much. This has been just a joyful hour for me. And I want to thank to the audience. So everyone, this is your mission this week. Turn to someone else and say, how can I help you? Well, Barbara, thanks for having me on. Honored to be here. Thank you so much. And for everyone, this is how you can help me today. Be sure to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. And just know how much I appreciate you.